With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Out of the Dark Storytelling. This is both a podcast and a live YouTube show. So, podcast listeners, please welcome to your ears, your host, Jill Welsh. Hey everyone! Ah, oh, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to Out of the Dark Storytelling. Oh, it's me, uh, Jill Welsh. Uh, oh my goodness, we have such an amazing show for you today. We have the oh so very lovable Fenny Wang. We've got the multi-talented powerhouse Fat Al, and the mind-blowing, oh, hilarious. I-, I feel like he's almost like you know. Uh, Toronto comedy scenes Buddha of sorts. Uh, Ken Hall's here, baby! Uh, and I think maybe uh, Andy Hall's uh, right leg will show up. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, once again, uh, we have a musical guest, Nick McKinley. Oh, I'm so excited. And running all of the tech behind the scenes, it's Connor Lowe. Connor, get out here! Hi, I'm Connor. Hey. <laughs> uh, how are you? Bud? I'm good. Oh. I'm good. How are how are you? I'm warm. I'm so warm. <laughs> yeah. Um if, you know, if you're if you're listening to the podcast version of this, you'll know that um when this was recorded because it was the day that everyone melted cuz they were too warm. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you're thinking, well, I wonder what day this was recorded. Um yeah. you'll also not be able to listen to it cuz everyone would have melted uh, and are now <laughs> dead. Yeah. It's going to be hot like this show. Oh, I'm so glad people don't melt, though. I'm so glad we don't actually melt like ice cream, though, you know, or like wax figures. I always wonder about that, of like, if there's one day in a wax museum where it's like, oops, the thermostat's up a bit too much, you know? Yeah. Anyway. I, they've, Anybody they've else think gotta, They've got to, like, spend so much money on AC. They have to, and like there has to have, like I want to know when things have gone wrong with the wax figurines too. That's a thing I wonder about. You know, I spent part of the pandemic wondering about wax museums. Really, <laughs> have you seen all? There's so many pictures of like bad wax figures. It's so great. I Just Google it. It's love so good. Them. And also, like, how do you decide when somebody's wax figurine is like okay, your time's up? Like. Not that I want to say this name out loud, but I feel like there's like a storage locker somewhere of a bunch of Bill Cosby wax figurines, you know? Like, yeah. Anyway, things I think about in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, how did you have any, uh, how was the dog park this week? That's what I want to know about. Connor, uh, for those of you folks who don't know, has a lovely lab. A lovely black uh, lab. A pot cake. Oh, a pot cake. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, you know, my fiance and I bought a car during the pandemic. And really, what we've used it for is to go to different and more exotic dog parks. Because I feel <laughs> like, uh, you know, working in comedy. Uh, and then moving to online, it's been great, like to have the like the comments and mm-hmm. interact with the chat. But I've just missed like getting a laugh from a stranger, you know. And there are no, there are like you know, every person who you interact with at like the grocery store does not want to <laughs> talk to you. But Fair. at the dog park, if you make a joke, people will laugh, and it's the the best you'll feel for a <laughs> You're week. traveling around to different dog parks to do like a tight 10 hot five <laughs> it's it's mostly like oh, you know someone needs a bath and <laughs> those are the jokes that kill which also shows you uh, you know i think once once live comedy comes back people are really hungry for it because if if they're given <laughs> they're given uh, she's gonna need a bath a standing o oh uh, um, boy I feel like 
Uh, making strangers laugh is so delightful. I for sure made a stranger almost pee herself laughing this past winter. Um, yeah, my like my hobby, I guess I developed was like going around the city and like feeding all the different critters. Like it started with some leftover bread and some ducks, and then it like morphed into like little birdies eating out of my hand in High Park, and then I was feeding squirrels. And uh, yeah, yeah, this one time. You went full Disney princess. I went full How Disney princess. How did I not know this really. about you? I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It was like, they could be my friends because I couldn't have real friends. So, uh, I mean, I, I could, but just like not interact with them, you know, couldn't feed them. So one time I was like feeding these ducks and there were some geese there and they were, the geese were so polite. They like shared with the ducks, not like the swans. Swans get vicious. So I was walking, I bought like bird seed and everything. And I was like, walking to go down to the water and I saw this like flock of geese you know and I was like hey pals uh I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little snack you know there's a, a reason why you never see people feeding the geese and that is because they are not a nice bird they are a vicious vicious mean bird and I like threw some of my seed and then the bird close to me like opened up his mouth so big I could see all the way down its neck to like its asshole and it made this hiss sound and I was like oh no so I threw all of the food that I had but then it turns out that they would like expect more food from me I don't know then the geese were chasing me um and they weren't chasing me for a little bit they were they were chasing me for a good distance. I mean, this was like a hundred meter dash and like and then some. And this like <laughs> I had to like cross traffic just to like put some space between me and the geese. And <laughs> this lady who was behind me was just like bent over, dying of laughter after I almost got swallowed by a wild pack of geese. Um so that was the end of my Disney princess phase. <laughs> so that was a laugh you meant to get though, right? Yeah, I for like sure that was that. All, uh, that was like yeah. a just for laughs gag that you did. <laughs> you know, and yeah, who doesn't love a casual brush up with their own mortality, you know? Uh, but I'll never forget. And those, listen, I'm little, like I'm like five foot four. So like a goose, you know, comes up to the average person's like kneecap. That's like the middle of my waist, you know, just <laughs> terrible. Terrible. Anyway, geese are not your friends. They're not your friends. You want them to be? Not your friends. Toxic bird, really. <laughs> uh, should we start the show? Yeah, why not? Oh, oh, but, uh... <laughs> Wait. You know what it made me think of? Well, no, because I also, I we have a friend in common who also at the same time had some interaction with uh, with some Toronto wildlife, you know? And I had been feeding the squirrels, and after this, uh, I also stopped feeding the squirrels. Connor, can you roll that tape? Oh, look at him, he's a little handsome. <laughs> this is the closest I've ever been to a squirrel. Ah! we should do a visual description but oh. you know i i think it really <laughs> speaks for itself that's so exactly what's happening it's uh, chris andy hall and sarah hillier and they're looking at this cute little squirrel and the squirrel's so close to them and uh then the squirrel runs up andy hall's leg and that's when he screams there's a nuts joke in there that i'm like too classy to make but Mm, it's such a good video. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now we can start the show. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm so excited for this first storyteller. So our first storyteller tonight, oh, we have Fanny Wang. Uh, what to say about Fanny Wang? I first saw them tell a story, uh, True Stories Told Live, Marcia Shender Shore here. Marsha Shander's show here, Toy Boat, Toy Boat, Toy Boat. Uh, such an incredible storyteller. Uh, I think you're just gonna fall in love with her the same way I did. Um, and when I asked her, like, what do you, what do you want me to say about you? Uh, she said there are three things that she loves. 
food, people, and stories. Ah, oh, please get up in the chat for Fennyway. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Jillian, for having me on your show. And thank you guys for giving me the next 10, 15 minutes to share my story. So the first boy who confessed to me did it in grade five French class. Madame C was reassigning seats and told my deskmate to move somewhere else. He stands up, looks at me and goes, Miss, can I not? I want to sit next to her. The whole class goes, ooh, and I was mortified. I couldn't look him in the eyes of the rest of the class and never spoke another word again to him for the rest of the year. If you're watching this, I am so sorry, Daniel. I guess boys just always scared me and I was no better at interacting with them even by the time I got to high school. But at least by then we had MSN and I had my animated emoticons to fall back on. It's the summer before grade 12 started on a late evening when I get a message to come outside. I go downstairs and look through my window and see my friend Lee standing there, hands in his hoodie pockets. He's waiting. Lee and I met on the first day of high school when I accidentally slammed my locker door into his head. But aside from that, I just knew him as a kid who whistled wherever he went and yeah, we've talked here and there, mostly about homework, mostly online, but that's it. What's he doing here? I take a deep breath and I open my door. Hey, I have something for you. He stuffs this green roundish thing in my hand and looks at me like he's expecting an answer. Why did you give me an apple? And it's warm. It's not an apple. It's a date. Do you want to hang out this weekend? My mind went blank when I realized I couldn't GTG, BRB, TTYL out of the situation long enough to stall for time. So I tell him, I'm busy, sorry, I can't, I'll see you at school. I run upstairs before my dad can ask me who was at the door. I'm Chinese, in our culture, we don't date until we're married. So I'm standing in the middle of my room, my heart is pounding, and I'm gripping so hard onto this fruit that it is bruising. So I set it on my table. But the next couple of days, I am just staring at this fruit because I don't want to eat it. It'd be like I'm accepting him. But the thought of throwing away made me feel kind of guilty. So I watched it get wrinkly and wrinklier each day until it became dried and shriveled. Grade 12 starts, and I am hoping that Lee just forgets about this whole thing when he starts walking me home every day, as if he's always done so. And to my surprise, I don't hate it. When we ran out of school things to talk about, we ate Cheetos in the park and watched cars drive by. And then all of a sudden we started strolling the grocery store near my house and we had a world full of topics to talk about. Once we were looking at the condiment section when we accidentally bumped into my parents who happened to be grocery shopping at the same time. That day I had a very awkward conversation with my parents about why I was pickle shopping with the boy. But down those aisles, I find out that Lee and I had a lot in common, like the fact that we both share the same dream university. Towards the end of the year, I find out he actually lived in the opposite direction. Fast forward to one month before high school graduation, I am turning 18. After a group hangout, Lee walks me to the gate of my neighborhood because, you know, Asian parents. The moon's casting over our head and I go in for a hug to say bye when he slowly puts one hand on my shoulder, confused, I look up at him and I see his head getting bigger and I ducked a last second. I feel a kiss on my head. That summer, without the apple this time, he asked me again to go on a date and I thought we were going to the same university. Yeah. The day before though, I panic when I realize, oh my gosh, what if he tries to kiss me again? Do I like him like that? Which way do you turn your head? I read somewhere if you're Asian, you don't need to turn your head because your noses are flatter. <laughs> so I do what every girl have done. I go incognito mode and I type into the Google search bar, how do you kiss? And I hit enter. It was all very informative, but not at all reassuring. The day comes and we go biking for 10 hours. 
By the time we found ourselves in a forest, I have long forgotten about my worries. There's a tree trunk that's grown horizontal, so we hoist ourselves up. Here we were, sitting in a tree, laughing over how a kite got stuck in the power line when all of a sudden, everything falls quiet. I hear the leaves rustling above us and the distant cars passing by. He turns towards me in slow motion and puts one hand on my shoulder. And now I'm off balance, so I grab his other shoulder to stay on. He leans in, I shut my eyes, and I felt the tiniest pecs on my cheeks. We jump off the branch, hop on the bike, and we're zooming down against the wind down a hill. I'm gripping hard onto my handlebar. The wheels underneath me are rolling faster and faster and faster as if it's trying to catch up to my own racing heartbeat. For our first official date, we had $20. We each spent $7 on a ticket, a GO train ticket, to Barry. I'm giggling as he tosses a hoodie over our heads and he kisses me, but he suddenly pulls away, serious, and he looks at me. I think I love you. You think you love me? No, I know I love you. Okay, I love you too. <laughs> At that age, I knew nothing about boys or what it meant to love one. But that day on that bus, I was pretty sure that was it. Life's easy like that with Lee. For the next four years, we were each other's first everything. I had to do a lot more Googling, but never once did I question why he wouldn't be my last. Though, as time went on, I did realize that our relationship was a little different from most. Where there should be tangled sheets and heavy breathing, we watch Tom and Jerry and build forts. Where bodies should fit, we made puzzles on the table next to it. Romance had a different definition in our dictionary. At night, we'd light candles and sit side by side in front of a keyboard. He'd improvise the harmony with his left hand and let me play the melody with my right hand. During the day, I'd cook him three meals a day for almost seven days a week. On the weekend, we strap on our backpacks and go on our weekly grocery date. By the time we graduated, neither of us knew where the best pubs were in town, but the grocery store, we knew every corner shop like the back of our hands. No frill was my personal favorite. Sometimes I'd get so excited, I'd lose him in between the aisles. So he got into this habit of whistling when we grocery shopped so that I could always find my way back to him. I remember one day coming home from school and he was all excited and he takes me down to the basement. I see his most prized vintage bike had a newly mounted bike seat attached to the back. In whiteout, he had written, Fenny's seat. Now I knew carrying a person's weight would permanently damage the frame and diminish the value. But he tells me not to worry. I felt a little bit guilty, but I still couldn't resist. So we're perched on top of this giant hill. He turns around and he asks, ready? I give him a tight squeeze as I wrap my arms around him. I'm gripping hard onto the fabric of his jacket. We're zooming down against the wind. The wheels underneath me are turning faster and faster and faster as if it's trying to catch up to my racing heartbeat. Roses didn't grow in February for us. He gave me a motor and pestle, a lollipop the size of my face, and a durian. I gave him a guitar strap, a music box, and a box of his favorite discontinued childhood cereal, Cocoa Crunch, that I spent $30 off of eBay and shipped it from all the way across the world. We were inseparable and told each other absolutely everything, but he did keep one secret from me, which he confessed towards the end of our graduation. He told me that he studied extra hard in grade 12 so he could follow me to the same university. I called him an idiot and told him to never do that again for another girl. That summer, I invite him as my plus one to my cousin's wedding. Distant relatives are elbowing us saying, turn next. We stick out our tongues at each other. My heart felt all warm and fuzzy watching my cousin and his wife look at each other when she walked down the aisle. They were my favorite couple because of how much fun they had. They were silly, like Lee and I. I snuck a glance at Lee, and he's looking dashing and handsome, but my heart sunk. I knew that I didn't feel how you're supposed to feel when you see your man in a suit. 
This was our fifth year. And one night I catch myself Googling, I love him, but even Google can't tell you the best way to break someone's heart. After months of agonizing wondering goes by, he's talking to me about our future golden retriever when I just start bawling. In that four hour conversation, we found our ways through I'm sorry's and thank yous and navigate it through memories that we shared, laughing over the ones that were funny and crying over the ones that will never happen. I ask him why he isn't trying to convince me to stay and he goes quiet. Then finally he quietly tells me, I try to write you a love song many times, but I couldn't. I think we could be happy if we got married one day, but I don't want you to hate me one day. So just like that, the first boy who told me he loved me was gone. Pool felt like an eternity. Grocery stores became haunted where I'd be trapped in between the maze of aisles that took me hours to get out of, tortured by the reminders each produce recalled, Lost in the memories of the time he called an eggplant a squash or the time we argued over if margarine's really better than butter. But like every heartbreak, over time, a pickle dryer was just another pickle dryer. Lee and I tried to stay friends for years afterwards, and we cheered for each other as we navigated the adult dating world until last year when he met her. From the way he talked about her, I knew she was different. I've never felt this comfortable being with anyone before. She just makes me feel like I can be exactly who I am. He catches himself realizing that he forgot we had dated too. I'm happy for you, I tell him. Earlier this year, I moved to the other side of Canada where I met Will. On our first date, Will showed up with a pie, a McDonald's apple pie. Because it was still pandemic, we couldn't really do anything, so we ended up strolling the grocery store next to my house. On our second date, the sun has just set and was standing under a bridge. I'm watching the ducks flying low towards the silhouetted buildings across the water when I catch him staring at me. So I turn towards him. He takes both of my hands. I'm 26 now. I am much wiser, and I recognize the look. So I lean in, close my eyes. And then I start panicking. My heart is pounding. I duck the last second. To my surprise, I feel a kiss on my head. Thank you guys for listening to my story. I hope you guys will enjoy the rest of your evening. Bye. Oh, my heart. Oh, my goodness. That story is just so darn sweet. You know, like falling in love and hoping you never fall out, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. And like apples, <laughs> an apple and an apple pie. Oh, I love it so much. Um, and who doesn't love going to the grocery store on dates? I feel like it was basically date night for most of us this past year. Uh, but if you want to check out more of Fenny Wang's work, uh, you can check out their YouTube channel called The Stories We Tell. It's all the food stories from her life, places she's eaten, traveled to, food memories of people. And actually about her like culinary school experience in Paris. It's amazing. She also has an Instagram account, which is well worth your follow. Uh, lots of recipes and lovely product reviews. Thank you so much, Fanny. Uh, our next storyteller is, oh my goodness, just one of the best darn people. Uh, not only are they an accomplished musician, an incredible visual artist, you've heard their voice on the radio, they've been on the Second City main stage, and I feel like their comedy has just been filling the hearts of this entire community for the longest time. Uh, and they are telling a bit of a, of a scary one, so um, get ready to sleep with the lights on or uh, never sleep again. Please welcome the wildly talented Fada! Uh, well, thank you. I've actually been sleeping with the lights on this whole pandemic, so uh, <laughs> nothing will change tonight. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is uh, Fat Al, and I'm going to tell you a little story of when I was uh, eight years old. When I was eight years old, 
we lived in an Ontario housing project called Palmer Court. It's pretty infamous now for a lot of shootings and gang activities and such, but when I was growing up there, it was more of a place where people in low economic circumstances of every race, creed, and religion were housed in the same neighborhood. And for the most part, we got along pretty well. You know, kids don't know that they're not supposed to other those people until they're taught by their parents or society in general. So Palmer Court was sectioned off into different streets and houses on different levels, separated by a series of alleyways and stairs. And I lived in a little housing project called Wakanda Place with my mother, my little brother, and my older sister. I was a middle child. In hindsight, not totally ignored, but at the time I felt pretty invisible. My sister would take care of us, usually by bullying us to make us shut up about the stuff she was getting into when my mom would go to work, which was often because my mom worked two jobs. She went to night school studying to be a nurse so that she could quit those other two jobs and just become a nurse, which eventually did happen. But that was later on in life. I digress. That summer, when I was eight years old, I used to run around our neighborhood and had a lot, I mean, like a, just a bunch of friends. And we were like a little gang of kids that would run around our neighborhood and get into trouble, especially in the summertime. We would sneak into the richer neighborhood that was literally across the tracks from where we lived. You would go down the stairs from our neighborhood and end up in a pretty like nice neighborhood that was really, really weird to us. Because in that nice neighborhood, all the houses had backyards and trees and gardens and such. Me and my little gang of friends would go down into that neighborhood and find food. Like, because we developed an affinity for picking crab apples from people's backyards. We would hop a fence and go into their yards and then climb a tree and pick crab apples or pick up the crab apples that had fallen onto the ground. Whoever the yardie for that day was would then throw the crab apples over the fence where we would catch them in our shirts that we had pulled out into like catching crab apple nets. One of us at a time would be a yardie. So if anybody came out of their big house and caught that yardie, that yardie would not dime on the rest of us because we were hard like that. But this one time, we were outside of the backyard waiting and the yardie was like, oh man, this is rhubarb. We all jumped the fence to see what she was talking about. It was growing in the ground and I'd never seen, tasted, or heard a rhubarb before. I had no idea what it was. But I pretended I did because I didn't want to seem uncool or uncouth. So we've broken our rule and are all in the yard marveling at this rhubarb and, and picking it. And we were just wiping it off on our shirts and eating it with dirt on it and such because it was so sweet and had this weird, nice texture to it. You had no idea rhubarb was actually something people really prized when this old dude come bursting out of his house and started yelling, you sons of a bitches at us and chasing us with what we all agreed on later was a gun or a baseball bat or shaking his fist. But we agreed that it was a gun. We took off running up the street like a litter of mischievous cats and we didn't realize how weird and funny that was because it was like we had just robbed the farmer's market and ran back to the ghetto to eat some rhubarb. And we did eat that rhubarb as we headed home and it, man, it was good. We really enjoyed it. It was, it was a great summer day. In my house, we had three floors. The main floor you got to when you came in through the front door and walked up one flight of stairs. Then you would kind of turn around in a spiral type of way and walk up two more flights of stairs to the second floor, where my mom's room, mine and my brother's room, and my sister's room was. Three rooms and the bathroom up there. Pretty affluent for Ontario housing at the time in these row houses. And we had a basement. I was never fond of going into the basement. I always felt like there was something wrong down there. And in our basement, you'd go down a flight of stairs and turn a small corner and there was a little nook. And at the end of that nook was a small door in a wall. And behind that door was a very small claustrophobic crawl space that was dark. But it wasn't like regular dark. It was like 
It was like otherworldly dark. Like when you looked into the crawl space, all light ceased. It was like a black hole, at least to me. And so I remember coming home on that afternoon after picking and stealing and eating rhubarb and feeling pretty proud of myself that I'd eaten that rhubarb and nobody had known that I'd lied about not knowing what rhubarb was. And I went downstairs into the basement to grab my bike so we could go riding on that big hill. And I heard, I heard a sound that was like a rustling. Now, usually, if I heard anything creaking in that basement, I was out of there. But this time, something drew me to the nook and I could hear this whistling type of sound, like a It was like a breeze that kind of had a shuffle, like a And I was, I was wondering why there was cold air blowing from the doorway behind the nook and the crawl spice in the summer. I slowly made my way into the nook, something I had never done before. And I, I slowly made my way to the door. And I pulled the door open. Nothing was there. It was just dark. But I could feel something drawing me in. I, I, I put my face down to the crawl space and, and I slowly pushed my head into the door and I saw glowing eyes. Green glowing eyes. And a pig's face on the Grinch's body. Yes, that Grinch. And it said hello to me. Well, not, not hello as much as hello. And in that hello, I felt a world where children had been sucked into and never seen anymore. It was like the opposite of Narnia. It was just a void a well, a place where children would never be heard from again. And all of the hair on the back of my neck stood straight up like a kitten being frightened for the first time. And I jerked back and I went to slam the door shut, but I felt something push back hard against my hand. And then I screamed as loud and as hard as I could. But I had no voice. And I felt it move towards me. I felt it grin. And my world slowed to a crawl. And with every instinct honed from my low-income street survival environment, I summoned the power of my ancestors, jerked back, and began to run. But just as I was about to take my first step, it gripped at my Achilles heel. Now, you have to understand that at that time, I wasn't the fat Al that you now see before you. In fact, I was quite skinny. I never walked anywhere. I ran. I was known for running. I was warned not to run. I was told to stop running. But this time, baby, I ran. And I grabbed the rail at the bottom of the steps. Now, you have to understand as a kid, those steps always took me some time to run up because they were big to me, but I pulled my body weight up with one thrust and my body became as light as helium and I leaped all the way to the top of the stairs in one bound. And as I landed at the top of the stairs, I heard, come back here in the most hideous authoritative voice that caused my whole body to shudder like, you know, when you're hit by a blast of frigid air on like the coldest winter day. And I burst through the front door into the sun. And when I looked back, trying to catch my breath, I saw my house. And that's the story of the Grinch pig. I never saw him again, except in my nightmares.
<laughs> Sorry, I just, oh, the Grinch pig. <laughs> it's, uh, I just can't with that Grinch pig, you know? I kept, kept waiting for that moment where it would just be like, oh, and it turned out to be the Christmas decorations, and I don't know, like a piggy bank, you know, like an actual Grinch and an actual piggy bank, but it, not at all. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a real thing that exists in maybe all of our houses. Uh, it's, uh, it's nuts. It's right nuts. And, uh, but you know what else is nuts? Connor! Can you roll that tape? Oh, look at him, he's so handsome. <laughs> this is the closest I've ever been to a squirrel. Ah! <laughs> Every time I feel like I can watch it like five. If you're ever having a bad day, just Andy Hall on Twitter. Just just do yourself that favor. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Chef Haddell. Uh, if you want more of their work, please check them out on Instagram. They're incredible visual artists. Uh, they make like these amazing like superhero drawings. Uh, just wonderfully talented. Thank you so much for uh, terrifying us, Fada. Thank you for terrifying us. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I guess we've come to that uh, that time in the show. So I'm gonna uh, dive into my SNL character and. Uh, Folks, Nicholas McKinley. Hello, out of the dark storytelling. Nick McKinley here. Uh, here we are, week four. Feeling good, feeling very uh, grateful um, to be able to share some songs uh, with everybody. And it's been really um, something like tuning into the stream or just like, you know, watching um, watching the uh, the repeat if, uh, if, if you can't make the stream. So I just, I, it's been really nice uh, being a part of this uh, the last few weeks, and I'm really happy to uh, be here playing some songs. Um, thank you, Jill, and, and everybody else for, for having me. Um, so uh, I'd like to make a dedication this week um, to my uh, my grandma Candy, who uh, we lost uh, this past weekend, unfortunately, to a sudden heart attack and stroke. Um, she's on my mind right now. Uh, she's going to be very missed. Um, she was a working woman, very tough woman, a little rough around the edges, kind of a hard person to get to know, honestly. Um, and, uh, I feel lucky over the past, like five or six years, we kind of like found a rapport with each other, uh, that hadn't really been there before. Basically just kind of talking about our respective careers in bartending, um, something she was doing into her late sixties and early seventies, honestly, right up until before the pandemic and, and something I've been doing for just over 10 years now. And, you know, we, uh, commiserate, uh, about it, which is, uh, I think when you're working in the service industry and I don't know, that's a genuine form of connection and camaraderie is being able to commiserate about broken glass washers and, you know, interesting regulars and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really thankful uh, I had that time with her and, and that kind of dialogue with her over the last little while. So I thought I would play this uh, song for her that's, um, it's about bars and it's about uh, the kinds of people who are up against a lot uh, in the world. Um, you know, uh, grandma, she used to work at this bar called um, Champs, which was uh, attached directly to the strip club in Sarnia, uh, Triple Play. Uh, so, you know, she was, uh, it was a lot of those, you know, there's a certain kind of person hanging out there. Uh, you know, I didn't really have the opportunity to visit her at work. Felt a little, um, maybe just not the right place to go visit. Uh, but anyways, uh, this song uh, about places like Champs uh, and, and the people who hang out there, it's called uh, We're All Songbirds in Our Hearts. He's got a baby on the way Calls his old man who he can't stand Says he quit drinking just yesterday 
And beside me there's a girl Her name is Mary and she's in a whirl Since her wife died, sleeps on her side We're all haunted in this world And the whiskey's hitting hard When rubber band man starts to start first words to our last words we're all songbirds in our hearts well I'm drunk and feeling free against the downtown city breeze rookie cyclone on his way home Mikey says man you might have dropped your keys they ask me for the time so you don't expect anybody to thrive when you get told, stay in the cold, we don't care if you're dead or alive. And every winter gets a little worse. No vacancies, gotta find a nurse. They lose their voice when there's no choice. They're a songbird, they got worth. We're all songbirds in our hearts We know the tune, we learned our parts We're all songbirds in our hearts some people on a mezzanine saying hey you were bad luck you can get fucked we're living in the capitalist dream but then Amarina starts to start we're finding safety in the dark from our first words to our last words we're all songbirds in our hearts from our warm birds to the cold dirt, we're all songbirds in our hearts. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Nick. Oh, from our first words to our last words, we're all songbirds in our heart. Such a, a beautiful tribute to your grandmother, Candy, and whoa, she sounds like a really freaking cool human. Uh, thank you for letting us be a part of that. And uh, listen, if you want more of Nick's music, you can catch him playing drums with the Fast Romantics. Uh, also, please look him up on Bandcamp. It's just really an incredible lyricist, singer, songwriter, and there are just some real, real gems for your heart in there. So please find Nicholas McKinley on Bandcamp. And uh, wow, yeah, the service industry. <laughs> Worked uh, worked in that since I was uh, 14 years old, and it will tattoo you on the inside. And uh, yeah, speaking of tattoos, I guess, <laughs> segue. Uh, it brings us to our next storyteller. I would say our next storyteller is maybe like one part badass and like the other part comedy Buddha, and then all parts just a beautiful, talented human. I mean, you've seen him on the Umbrella Academy, and he was probably in that improv scene that you are gonna spend the rest of your life nerding out over, and you probably peed yourself laughing so freaking hard. So please, welcome to your screens, my all-time favorite improviser in the entire world, Ken Hall. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. Thank you for such a lovely intro, Jill. That is so touching. Um, uh, I, I'm so excited to be here. Today, I'm going to tell you a story, and it all began with a few sparks, some soap suns, and a little bit of smoke. And you know that expression, where there's smoke, there's fire? Uh, in this case, there's also burnt hamburgers. Uh, so... The universe, I feel, often conspires uh, to give you opportunities, whether it be in love or opportunities to learn. And the story that I'm going to tell you tonight 
opportunities to to learn a big lesson. And this torrid love tale that I'm about to tell takes place in a kitchen. We just mentioned the service industry. I <laughs> I have a little experience within that. And uh, I'm going to bring you back to uh, to my late 20s. And I was very unemployed and underemployed in my late 20s. And uh, I had an opportunity to do some casual employment uh, alongside one of my oldest friends. And this was helping out in a, in, in a bar. And I was in this very glamorous role of working in what's called the dish pit. So my job consisted of cleaning dishes, many dishes. And I, I, and I did that. And it was actually pretty cool because I got to work uh, alongside one of my oldest friends, my best friend uh, at the time. And and had some laughs. It was really lovely. And I got to marvel at, at my, my best friend, actually. He was um, <clears throat> quite an artist in the kitchen. He was the head chef, the head cook of this, uh, this eatery that I, I was uh, helping out in. And I really marveled at his uh, ability uh, to create beautiful things on a plate. Because I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that natural ability. Uh, and I didn't know exactly at what point in, in, in my late 20s that I, I don't know what really, what my abilities were, to be quite honest. But uh, I was excited to actually have a job and uh, to hang out with my best friend and watch him create these beautiful works of art. And uh, life has a way of sort of magnetically pulling you towards fate and inevitability. And so this story is about how I fell in love and quite abruptly out of love with working in a professional kitchen. So, uh, as I said, we're going to go back into my late 20s. So this is circa 19... No, it's not even the 19s anymore. It's the 2000s. It's the early 2000s. And I was living in Parkdale, uh, a small uh, community here in Toronto. And just down the street, there was this bar. And so uh, I had an opportunity uh, to uh, to work at this place. Because my best friend, as I said at the time, he was feeling really burnt out. He was the head cook, the head chef of this... Uh, pretty popular Parkdale bar. And so he was there first thing in the morning, late at night. So he was really burning out. And so to salvage his mental health, he asked if I want to help out, not just in the dish pit, but to get promoted, to get elevated into the coveted spot of assistant cook. And I thought, well, isn't this something? I now have an opportunity to create some works of art, to find some beauty. Uh, and I, I said, yes, sure, why not? But I had to warn him, I'm very not a good cook at all. He said, don't worry about it, man. I'm going to prep you. So he vowed to prep me. And so as true to his word, he walked me through. And I'd been observing. I'd worked there enough times to be like, I kind of I kind of see how the lay of the land goes. And so uh, he showed me with the fries, for example. You cut the fries up or you cut the potatoes. They're actually called potatoes. You turn them into fries by cutting them up. You put them in a the basket. The basket goes in the fryer. Simple enough. The burgers go on the grill. Well, I've attended many a barbecue in my life. Uh, the cheese goes on top of the nacho and then goes into the oven. Aha, uh -huh. you're off and running. Uh, one of the best things that he did, actually, was to give me a visual, <laughs> a visual of what, of the steps of, like, how to cook things. There wasn't really the internet. I don't even know if I had the internet even back then. Um, so he wrote down a piece of paper, the steps of how to cook a burger, uh, how to cook some fries and such. But the coolest thing was he actually drew, uh, he drew images of what the, of what the food should look like. And so I, I vividly remember, and I hope I still have it somewhere because it, it's such an, it's such an awesome artifact. Uh, there would be a picture of like a fish and chips. So the couple of pieces of fish with like a family of fries looking over the basket. And I still remember the, the beautiful wax paper, the red and white checked wax paper that goes in the basket. So all the grease doesn't like get everywhere, uh, inside. So uh, I thought that was a great to have an actual like visual aid to assist in this. So the day came and I'm like, all right, he's going to take half of the day off. So I'm going to I'm going to take the lunch crowd. And so this was quite a this is a big moment uh, for me. So I am ready. Let's open. We are in for business. Any customers that come in, I was ready to go. However, <laughs> I, again, I have no skill. I really have no business in being there. I was, <laughs> as we will soon find out, that uh, this was uh, really a fish out of water uh, experience. But my friend had reassured me that you're going to be good. You're going to be fine. So if a customer walks in and uh, says, um, 
Is the kitchen open? Yes, the kitchen is in fact open. Uh, but this is my role as being in the kitchen is more is is really more symbolic. I feel like it's it's very like ceremonial. It's kind of like the guards that wear the red jackets outside Buckingham Palace with the big tall hats. They don't really do anything. <laughs> They're just there as an aesthetic. They're just there as a visual. And uh, so my day started uh, pretty good. As I, I slowly get an order in. Now, let me uh, illuminate. I'm going to pull the curtain back of uh, the process of what happens when someone orders. So someone comes in into this fine establishment. They're seated. They're given a menu. They then decide what it is that they want to eat. A server then enters into the picture, takes the person's order. And then through the magic and mystery uh, and marvel of technology, they input it into a computer and then it comes all the way into the kitchen. There's like a little receipt box. And I, I really, I like the sound of it when it was printing. And it, it's got a serrated edge and you rip the, you rip the order and there's a little red clip that you clip the order and then you can see what the person ordered. And then you prepare the food, you cook it, and then you plate it. It's a very important thing. Gordon Ramsay always stressing plate it. It's the presentation of the food. And in the kitchen, there's like a little little window. There's no glass there, but it extends out into the dining area. And so you have the finished product and you put it on the ledge. There's a little bell, ding. You ring the bell and then the server comes and whisks it away to the customer. Customer eats, they dine, happiness, the circle of food and circle of life continues. So uh, the day started pretty good. I was getting the odd order out. Um, I have to preface this, though, by saying that that time in Toronto, that day, that day, uh, in the springtime, it was a very unseasonably warm day. And like the world over, as soon as there's a tipping point, as soon as it reaches a particular temperature, every patio in existence is overrun. And for me, this was the starting siege of the lunchtime rush. And so I'm in the kitchen. I'm like, okay, oh, the orders are coming in. I'm dropping the fries in the fryer. I'm, I'm cooking the burgers on the grill. I'm putting the cheese on the nacho to put them into the oven. Uh, okay, things are going well. But they, <clears throat> my friend didn't tell me this, that uh, some people order food, for example, a burger, uh, medium to well done. <laughs> And I didn't know that actually existed, that that was a thing. And there was no, on the on the photos that he, he drew, on the paint, or the pictures that he drew, you don't draw a medium, you can't, what does that look like? You can't draw a medium well done. So I began, <laughs> I began to get slammed and it became epic. It was like the siege, as I was saying, was something out of like Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. It was, uh, it was the WrestleMania of slams, the Hogan leg drop, but I didn't tap out. I wasn't going to tap out. I was not going to quit. <sighs> In the service industry, you may be aware of something. It's uh, sort of like the law of physics, really. What goes up must come down. Food goes out may also come back. <laughs> and so that started happening. So orders as it was putting out, because I'm like, out of sight, out of mind. Ah, oh, this is great. Amazing. I'm actually doing quite well, I think. <clears throat> orders start to come back to the kitchen saying, it's, it's, it's burnt. It's undercooked. Customers that happy. Can you do it again? So let me get this right. <laughs> you want me <laughs> to do this again. Where do you think that this is going to be any different or any better than before? In fact, there's a higher probability it's going to be worse than the original that I sent you because I have so many orders and back orders now and I'm drowning in these seas of, of, of orders and I can't, I, I can't get a handle on it. I'm panicking. This is terrible. I feel like I'm living in I Love Lucy episode where the orders are coming in and it's just me in this kitchen alone and, 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 it eventually led to the point where I got the order of all orders, for me anyway, and that was a steak. <laughs> and honestly, I've never made a steak. And still to this day, I have yet to ever make a steak. I've never cooked a steak in my whole entire life. And so I go to the fridge and I open the freezer and it's like <laughs> putting my hand into like this frozen world and I'm pulling out things uh, that have no labels on them as well. And uh, it's all these like frost like artifacts. And I'm like, I think this is sort of in the shape of a steak. And I'm trying to investigate and examine what this is until I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm going to go with this one. So I put it in the microwave as one does and then I defrost, I pull it out. And I pull on the grill 
And even then, even though I'm certainly no chef <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, I could tell something was a little bit off on this. <laughs> but I cooked it. I saw it through. I've gone too far. I can't turn back now. I'm going to commit. So I sent it out. I plated it. Bing! And the little bell whisked away. Uh, it didn't take long for that order to reappear. It boomeranged uh, back into the kitchen. And apparently it was a mistake that I served this poor customer. It was a pork chop. <laughs> and <laughs> time started to lose all sense of meaning after that. And it became just <laughs> a real nightmare and a blur. Until this moment when the two relief chefs came in. The two relief cooks, Peter and Kumar. They stepped in and I tell you that I tasted such a delicious freedom. The, the relief, if I could bottle that, it was so deliciously sweet that I was saved. It was a reprieve. I was so excited that, uh, that my job was now over. And as they had taken over from me, the owner <laughs> and the boss pulled me aside and uh, he says, uh, you know, I can, um, you know, I, you know, I can't have that anymore. And I'm like, I understand. There is no argument. You're not going to get any argument from me. I totally, 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 totally understand. <sighs> so, <clears throat> I never was invited back. It was, I guess, never meant to be. This sort of tragic romantic comedy, this tragic comedy that I lived. It, uh, the stars just didn't really align. And, you know, on that warm, unseasonably sunny, warm <laughs> spring day in Parkdale, ah, the love of working in the kitchen soured and certainly expired. And I've never been back. But I'm glad I did it, though. I look back and I'm like, you know what? There was something there about risking, putting myself into an uncomfortable situation and just doing the best that I can in such is life. And so I left a little bit wiser, a little bit stronger, and also a little bit more hopeful that my true love is out there somewhere. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to my story. Hope you have a great night. Please don't invite me to a barbecue. I'm just going to ruin it. It's just not going to be good. It's just, trust me, it's not going to work. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great night. <laughs>
Nicholas McKinley and the incredible Ken Hall. Thank you so much to all of the fine folks at Bad Dog, Coco, Avery Jean, and please give it up for our amazing technician, Connor Lowe. And if you want more storytelling in your life, please check out Replay Storytelling and True Stories Told Live Toronto. If you want any information on the storytelling community here in Toronto, it is fantastic. Please send me a message and I will hook you up. Also, if you want to try this, send me a message and I'll hook you up. Huge thanks to all of the Toronto storytelling community and you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Huge hug to you all. Have a great night. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.